They were starting here by the two dots on Kuf Memo Gimel Amud Bet by the towards the top of the Amud. Gemara here quotes from the Mishnah so Chatimat Peirot. One may not squeeze fruits on Shabbat to get the liquids out of them. In the Mishnah, we had a machloket between the Chachamim and Rabbi Yehuda. The Chachamim say both to squeeze the juice out actively, as well as the fact that juice exits or is emitted by these fruits passively. Both of those liquids are asurim b'Shabbat. Rabbi Yehuda, in principle, agrees to the to the position of the Chachamim. It only differs in the fact that if the liquids are emitted passively, it depends why you have the fruits there. If you brought the fruits in to squeeze them from juice for juices. Then ain't hochanami. Like the Chachamim say, that juice or that liquid that is emitted by them is problematic. Because then that's exactly what you wanted to happen. And now that even though it's happened passively, it's the equivalent of, or we'll be worried about, you squeezing them actively to do the same thing. On the other hand, if the reason that you brought these fruits in is for ochlim, is for food, then the liquids that are emitted by them is not of interest to you. And since it's not of interest to you, if it comes out passively, then we don't worry about it on Shabbat, and it's mutar. So now the Gemara brings, That when it comes to olives and grapes, even Rabbi Yehuda agrees the Chachamim, that if the liquids are emitted passively, even though you brought them in to eat them, not to bring them for their juice, nevertheless, it's problematic. Because, in general, people use olives and grapes for their liquid, for that which is emitted by them, not as ochel. A la rove, they're used for their juices. So therefore, Yaiv Date, that's what he really has in mind. Even though he brought them in for Ochel, it's, we'll say, Betela Dato, it's Okola Dami. And therefore, since a la rove, people bring it in for liquids, we're not going to pay attention or heed to what he brought it in for. On the other hand, Ula says the name of Rav, so here we have a Machloket Rav in Shmuel as to the position of Rabbi Huda. That even by Zaytim Vayanavim, that Rabbi Huda disagrees. If they're brought in for Ochel, that if the liquid is emitted passively, that we do not worry about that on Shabbat, and it's mutar to use it. Rabbi Yochanan Amar, Halacha ke Rabbi Huda bishar peirot. The Halacha is like Rabbi Huda when it comes to other fruits. Ve'en Halacha ke Rabbi Huda bizaytim Vayanavim. On the other hand, the Halacha is not like Rabbi Huda when it comes to olives and grapes. Now, in the statement of Rabbi Yochanan is an underlying assumption that Rabbi Huda argues in all of these cases. So if that's this, if that's the scenario, then Rabbi Yochanan comes along and says that the locha is like Rabbi Yehuda when it comes to other payroll, that if you bring them in for ochlim, then the juices or liquids that are emitted passively are not a problem on Shabbat. On the other hand, by zeitim navim, just like what Rav says, Rabbi Yochanan sees Rabbi Yehuda saying that by zeitim anavim, the din is the same. And therefore he says the locha is not like Rabbi Yehuda by olives and grapes, that even if you brought them in for ochel, the liquid that's emitted from them passively is a problem on Shabbat. Now, Amar Abba, Amar of Yehuda, Amar Shmuel. So now we have an extreme narrowing of the Machlok between the Chachamim and Rabbi Yehuda. By Rabba, Amar of Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, which is, Mode haya Rabbi Yehuda l'chachamim b'zeitim v'anavim. Rabbi Yehuda would agree to the Chachamim when it comes to zeitim v'anavim. We saw this already from Shmuel before. That when it comes to olives and grapes, even though sometimes people bring them in to eat, since the majority of their use, or the overwhelming majority of their use is for liquids, then it doesn't really matter anymore why you brought them in. If liquids are emitted from such an item, whether actively or passively, they are problematic on Shabbat. And even Rabbi Yehuda agrees to this. And the Chachamim agreed to Rabbi Yehuda when it comes to other fruits. Other fruits are generally eaten. They're not brought in for their juices. Evidence to that is the fact that the Gemara in Brachot says that juices that are emitted from fruit are Zeha Ba'alma, 
and you make a shahakal on them, you don't make a bori priya eats on them. So the Gemara views other fruits or juices that are emitted by other fruits as to be waste, not anything that is of significance. And therefore, even if Chachamim will agree to Rabbi Huda by other peyrot, that juices that are emitted from them are not problematic on Shabbat if they're brought in for Ochlim. If that's the case, then where is the machaloke between Rabbi Yudah and the Chachamim? You go out, see what you can find. See if you can find the difference between them or somewhere that they would argue. says, I think it makes sense. It's logical to say that they argue about pomegranates and berries. The Tanya, that we have a bright though. Now, the premise of Rav Nachman Yitzchak is that we have two extremes, and then we have a middle ground. We have the extreme of Anavim and Zaytim, which sit in a category of where the overwhelming majority of usage is for the liquid, and the liquid is almost more chashuv than the perot themselves. Over there, everybody agrees that the liquids are problematic on Shabbat, whether they were emitted actively, passively, it's problematic, and even Rabbi Huda agrees to that. When it comes to sharp perot, when it comes to other fruits, again, the overwhelming majority of utilization of these fruits is for achila. And therefore, the juices that are emitted from them passively, we're not going to worry about because nobody squeezes these fruits for their juices. And because of that, if it comes out passively, there's nothing to worry about. And even the Chachamim agreed to that. We have this middle category called Tutim Virimunim, which is the berries and the pomegranates. In that category, there are some people who squeeze them for their juices, and there's some people who eat them. In that scenario, that's where we have this machloki between Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim which is that Rabbi Yehuda believes that Tutim Rimonim go into the same category as Shar Peirot. And therefore, if they are brought in to be used for Ochlim, then juices that are emitted from them passively are not problematic. On the other hand, the Chachamim believe that Tutim Rimonim fall into the same category as Zaytim Va'anavim. And because of that, when the juices or liquids are emitted passively from the Tutim Rimonim, they have the same status as Zaytim Va'anavim, which is that you may not use it or utilize it on Shabbat. So again, on the extreme sides, there is no machloket. It's just in this middle category where there is a machloket. This is a, a significant narrowing of the machloket between Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim. Now he brings a proof from Abayta the Tanya. Now the Brayta sounds like it's an absolute proof to the fact that they argue in Titim and Rimonim. Rashi over here explains why that it's only mistavra, it's only logical to say this. Because you could have argued that just like they argue in this Brayta about Titim and Rimonim, they also argue about Shar Perot. There's no evidence that would force you to say this, but it makes sense or it's logical to argue that this would be the case. And that is the Tanya. Zaytim shemashach mehen shemen, vanavim shemashach mehen yayin. You have olives from which oil was emitted and grapes from which wine was emitted. Now Rashi says that this happened in Memela. This is a passive excretion of the liquid inside. Rastasafo disagrees and says the word mashach sounds like an active verb. And therefore, the word mashach means that somebody started to press them, and then they stopped. And the liquid continued to be emitted by these fruits after the person had stopped the active pressing of these items. So now you begin with shaman and yain that come out of olives and grapes. Nisan, and then he brings them in. Ben ben Whether he brought in the grapes or the olives to be eaten, or for their liquids. asur. That which is emitted by them is asur. Tutim, shemashach mehen mayim. And then berries where you drew water out of them. Virimonim, shemashach mehen yayin. Or pomegranates from which you drew out wine. Rashi says, why is the liquid emitted by a pomegranate considered to be wine? It's because it has kiyua. It has a certain amount of 
vinegar acidity to it that makes it like yayin. If he brought them in to be used as food, then which is emitted by them, the liquids emitted by them is mutar and shabbat. The mashkim, on the other hand, if he brought them in for their liquids, or the stam, or he didn't state what the purpose was, whatever was emitted by them is asur divrei Rabbi Yehuda, similar to Rabbi Yehuda in our Mishnah, but you see here in the bright that he's only making that statement about tutim ve'rimonim. Whether it's for ocha, whether it's mashke, yotzei mehen asur. That which is emitted, the liquid emitted by these items is considered to be asur. So you see here that the machalok between the chachamim and Rabbi Yehuda is about tutim ve'rimonim. They certainly seem to agree when it comes to olives and grapes. And that we see explicitly in the bright. We don't have in the bright a sharp peyrot, and that's what Rashi noted before, that you could say that by sharp peyrot they still argue, just like they argue by tutim and rimonim. And tutim and rimonim is that other category. It's like sharp peyrot. Just mistavra. It makes sense to say that the extremes they agree on, it's only that middle case that they disagree, and that is supportive of the position that was stated by Rabbah Amar Rabbi Yehuda Mashmuel, that Rabbi Yehuda agrees to the Chachamim when it comes to Anavim and Zaytim, and that the Chachamim agree to Rabbi Yehuda when it comes to Shar Peirot. Now the Gemara says, Is it really true? In the Brayta it says that if you wanted it for Ochlim, if you wanted it for food, then the juices emitted by these items are Mutar according to Rabbi Yehuda. If you brought it in for Mashkim, if you brought it in for liquids, then the juices emitted by them are problematic on Shabbat according to Rabbi Yehuda. But the Brayta also mentions Stam. If you don't state why you're bringing them in, then we assume that what you brought in is for liquids. That's what the Brayta said. And the Gemara challenges that and says, V'savar Yehuda Stam Asur. Does Rabbi Yehuda really believe that in a case where you don't have any state and reason for bringing in the fruits, that we assume that they're brought in for the liquids? V'atnan. We have a Mishnah in Machshirin that says, Chalav ha'isha mitamei l'ratzon u'shalo l'ratzon. The milk of a woman is mitamei, whether she wants it to be emitted or whether she does not want it to come out. Whether she wants this, emit, this milk to be emitted from her breasts or not, it's considered to be a liquid. And since it's considered a liquid, it can be machshir the kabel tumah. Rashi says the reason for this is that in the Shoftim with the story of Yael and Sisra, it says there that she gave him to drink from the liquid, which was chalav, which was milk. And therefore we see that chalav is designated as one of the liquids. And there is a din that the Gemara learns out from Parshat Shmini, that there are certain liquids, which are known as Yad Shachat Dam, which are the seven items that are considered to be liquids, that can be Machshir the Kabotumah. That those liquids, when they wash a food substance, they now allow that food substance to be mikabel tuma. Those items are yad shachat dam, which is yayin, dam, shemen, chalav, tal, tvash, and mayim. Those are all considered to be liquids, and here chalav is one of those liquids. So therefore, the milk that's emitted by the woman, whether she wants it to come out or doesn't want it to come out, that is classified as a liquid and can be machshir the kabotumah, and obviously it itself can be mikabotumah as a liquid. Tosafot disagrees with Rashi and says you don't need to come to the pasuk because the Gemara in a second is going to say that the milk of a woman is the result of dam ne'akar v'nasechalav, that the woman's blood is converted into milk, and just like her blood has a din of mashkeh, so too the milk automatically has a din of mashkeh, you don't need the pasuk because chalav of the isha 
is equivalent to dam. By chalav beimah, when we're talking about milk from an animal, that's the milk that is differentiated from the milk of a woman. But the milk of a woman is under this category of dam, and therefore you don't need the pasuk. So over here we have the first statement of the Mishnah is that when it comes to the milk of a woman, whether it's emitted willingly or unwillingly, that has a din of mashke. On the other hand, chalav beimah, when it comes to the milk of an animal, it's only if you want the milk to come out. If you don't want the milk to come out, then it doesn't have a din of mashke. Um, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva says to the Chachamim, Kavachomerhu, why would you differentiate between the Chalava Beiman and Chalava Isha? Ma Chalava Isha she'inum yuchad alektanim, when it comes to milk of a woman, that is only designated for youngsters. Nevertheless, it's mitamei l'ratzon, shalol l'ratzon, it's mitamei willingly and unwillingly. Chalava Beiman, when you're talking about the milk of an animal, shem yuchad ben l'ktanim ben l'gdolim, which is drowned, which is drunk both by minors or youngsters and adults alike. Isn't it clear that it should be whether it comes out willingly or unwillingly? Amrulo, they respond to Rabbi Yehuda. Wait a minute, there's something unique about the milk of a woman. The reason that the milk of a woman is even against her will is because because the dam of a wound in a woman is tamay. So from that, you want to now extrapolate and say, So too, the milk of the animal that comes out unwillingly should not be tahor. That the blood of a wound on an animal is tahor. Now this has to do with the principles of blood. When it comes to blood, blood is considered one of the mashkim. But that's only because the pasuk says, V'dam chalalim that the blood of the dead will be drunk. Now, the dam chalalim is the blood of a person who has been killed. The Gemara in many places says, mali katle purta, mali katle kule. What's the difference between you entirely kill someone or you partially kill someone? Meaning that the blood that's emitted by a wound should be no different than the blood emitted by someone who is killed. And therefore, the blood of a wound has a din of mashkeh, similar to the blood that's emitted by someone who is dead. On the other hand, when it comes to an animal, the blood of an animal does not have that classification of mashkeh, because it doesn't have that classification of dam chalalim. So based on that differentiation, the Gemara says, I don't understand how you can extrapolate or make this kalvachomer. By a woman, the reason that her milk is mitameh ratzon or shalor ratzon is because... She has a unique standing with regards to her blood. Her blood, a blood of a wound, would be classified as a mashke. And the Gemara Nida says, Dam chalav. The dam, what they're talking about is the dam nida. The reason a woman doesn't menstruate when she is nursing is because the Gemara believes that that dam that would otherwise have gone towards menstruation now is converted into milk. So now we have dam, that same dam that would have been classified as a mashke is now chalav. And so for that reason, her chalav has a din of the ratzon or shalol ratzon because it's similar to the dam. And by dam, we have no issue of ratzon or no ratzon. The dam has a din of mashke. On the other hand, by an animal, you do not have that. By the animal, the blood does not have that unique status. And therefore, the milk of the behemoth will have a different classification. So you cannot say just because something's true by the milk of a woman would also be true by the milk of a behemoth. On Rabbi Ki responded to him and says, Machmer ani bechalav mi badam. You are drawing some sort of connection between blood and milk. I say to you that the two are differentiated. 
someone who milks for medicinal purposes, tamay. Because then you want the mashke, you want the liquid that's coming out, and it would be classified as being a mashke and be machshir or mikabal tumah. But mikiz on the other hand, someone who lets blood for medicinal purposes, tahor, it does not have a classification of tumah. So you see here that there's a differentiation between milk and blood. That even though sometimes blood is tahor, the milk is still tamay. So you can't say to me that there's a direct correlation between the din of the blood and the din of the chalav. And just like over here, for the medicinal purposes, there's a differentiation between the dam and the chalav. I'm going to say to you the same thing with regards to the woman and the beima. Just because the woman's blood is considered a mashkeh by a wound, doesn't mean that that's the reason that her chalav is also tamay or makshir the kabel tumah. And then by a behema, you can't extrapolate it because I can show you that that connection between the blood and the milk is not absolute. I just showed you that there's a case where the dam is tahor and yet the milk is tamay. The dam can be ma- not, is not makshir and the milk is makshir. So if I already can separate those two dinim, what you're stating to me is not necessarily true. And just because the dam of a woman is or able to be machshir the kabel tumah does not mean that her milk therefore has that same din and I cannot apply it to the behemah. But rather the milk stands alone, the blood stands alone. If by the milk of an isha we say it's mitameh ben the ratzon ben shlo ratzon, same should be true by the milk of a behemah. The Gemara said the chachamim and the Mishnah say back to him, Amrulo, Salei zeitim ve'anavim yochicho. So this is how we get back to our Gemara. Baskets full of olives and grapes will prove our point. Liquids that are emitted by them willingly are considered to be a mashke, and they are machshir the kabel tumah. If they emit liquids that you do not want to come out, then they are tahor. So you see from these salei zetim ve'anavim that the person's view of the items impact in terms of whether this is considered to be a mashkeh and whether it's considered to be machshir the kabel tumah and that the milk of a woman is an exceptional case. Everything else is governed by this principle of ratzon shalol ratzon just like we see by the salei zetim ve'anavim. And if that's the case then you cannot just say because the woman has this unique status that her milk is mitameh ben ratzon ben shalol ratzon we should say the same thing by chalav beimah. Because we see by liquids in general, it makes a big difference whether you want it or don't want it. And the same will be true by the Chalav Beima. Here is the end of the quote of the Mishnah in our Gemara. The Mishnah Makshrim actually continues, and Rabbi Akiva responds to the Chachamim there, that there's a big difference between Chalav and Zaytim and Anavim. Zaytim and Anavim are originally Ochel. They're originally a food substance, and now you're emitting a liquid from them. So over there, it makes over there it makes a difference what you're thinking about the items emitting a liquid. If you want it, then it's okay. Then it is a liquid. If you don't want it, then it doesn't turn into a liquid because it's emanating from an ochel. On the other hand, when it comes to chalav, when it comes to milk, the milk is a liquid and now it's being emitted. So the only question there shouldn't be a question anymore of ratzon or shalol the ratzon. It's simply a liquid that's being emitted, and that's why maybe it makes no difference over there. That's what Rikiva's response. The Mishnah then ends with the discussion between the Chachamim and Rabbi Akiva, and then continues even further with the students of Rabbi Akiva questioning that position of Rabbi Akiva. But relevant to us over here is that the Mishnah in Makshirim says when it comes to Zaytim v'Anavim, Ratzon and Shalol Ratzon makes a difference. And the Gemara says, My love, 
How do you read the Ratzon and Shalol Ratzon? The Ratzon, the Nechale. If he wants it, that is considered to be a Mashke. Shalol Ratzon, if he doesn't want it, Bistama, which is also the equivalent of what you would think if he didn't want it, then it would not have a din of liquids. So the Gemara's assumption is that the, the Ratzon part of this is that you willingly want it, and since you willingly want it, that's what changes it into a mashke. But if you didn't want it to the Ratzon, then the default status of these items would be Shalol the Ratzon. And that's really borne out by the continuation of discussion between the Chachamim and Rabbi Kiva, where Rabbi Kiva says back to them that Zaydim and Amim are an Ochel. They're a food substance. So the liquid emitted from them is a change in their status. So only if it's something that you want or you are willing, or that you really desire, do we say that it turns into mashkeh? But otherwise, stam, the default status of these items is that it's not a liquid, it's an ochel. And that presents a problem. We saw in the Brayta before that the default status of the tutim va'anavim was classified as a liquid, as a mashkeh. So the Gemara says, umazitim va'anim Just like olives and grapes, which are the highest form of liquid emanating from an ochel, where we almost always assume that the liquids are the ratzon, Nevertheless, that unless you state that you really want it, we assume that the default status is that it's not a liquid. Which are a lower status in terms of the liquids that emanate from them. Even Rabbi Huda agrees to that, that Tutim Anavim are not on the level of Zaytim and Anavim. Then Lokoshagain, Lolaratzon Bistama. So certainly over there, by those fruits, you should also say that the Stam, or the default, is that it's not classified as a liquid. So how come the bright, the before says, Tutim Ananavim, the default status is that they're liquids? And over here, in the Mishnah, it sounds like the default status is that the Zaytim and the Anavim, the default status is that they're not liquids. Even though Zaytim and Ananavim, there's much more reason to believe that they are default for their liquids. As Rashi points out, the Gemara could just ask directly from Zaytim and Ananavim, which is over here, we see Zaytim and Ananavim, that the default status is that they're not liquids. And the entire Gemara before seems to assume that the default status is for liquids, and that's why Rabbi Yehud even agrees to the Chachamim. Nevertheless, the Gemara asked the question, and the response of the Gemara is, Shalol Ratzon means the Gali Dati Dumarlo Nechali. Well, the answer is, Shalol Ratzon doesn't mean the default. The default is a liquid. The Shalol Ratzon is the one that's Dafka. Only if he actively states that he does not want it as a liquid, then is it classified as a food substance or not as a liquid. The default status will be that it's a liquid, and of course, if he says he wants it as a liquid, it is a liquid. So once we've done that, we have no proof about Tutim Vanavim, and now that we have the Brayta telling us that the default status there is for liquids as well, now we can say by all of these items, Zaytim, Anavim, Tutim, Rimonim, the default status is for liquids. If you actively say, I don't want it for liquids, then you can change it and say that it's not a liquid and will not be a stira in Rabbi Yehuda between the Stam that we found in the Brayta before and the Stam that we found in this Mishnah. Because in both cases, the stam or the default status will be that of liquids. And Shalol Ratzon means that I make an active statement that I don't want it as a liquid. The other possibility to differentiate this Mishnah from the Brighter before is, Shine Sali Zaytim Vavanim, came into the Yibud Kaimi Mikara Afkurei That The problem here is that the olives and grapes are now being gathered into a basket. If you bring them in in a bowl, you're right. Ain't Ochanami that the default status is that you want the liquids and the liquids are good. That when, it, when liquids emanate from them, you're okay with that because you have a bowl that's going to capture the liquids. On the other hand, when you place them into baskets, baskets will let the liquid drip out. So then if they emit liquids while they're in the basket, 
you actually are going to be upset about that. That's not going to be good for you because you're going to lose that liquid. If that's the case, you don't classify whatever comes out of them at that point as a liquid because you prefer that they wouldn't have the liquids be emanate, em, em, emanate, that the liquids would not emanate from them. So based on that, the Gemara changes the scenario. In the scenario where you have the liquids being captured, the default will be that we assume that you want the liquids. In a case where the liquids are going to be lost, then we'll assume that the default status is that you do not want the liquids because you're going to lose them if they do come out. And so therefore, the brighter before was being in a case where it was in an a utensil or vessel that captures. And that's why the default status was that it's classified as a liquid, even by tutin virimonim. Over here, since they're in baskets and you're going to lose the liquid, even by zaytim and anavim, we're going to say that the default status of the liquids is that you don't want them because you're going to lose them if they come out. And now the Gemara says, Ashkachan, Rabbi Yehuda, Demodil, Rabbanan, Bezitim, Vanavim. In the Brayta we brought before, we saw clearly that Rabbi Yehuda agrees to the position of the Chachamim when it comes to olives and grapes. By olives and grapes, he agrees that, in general, people use them for liquids. The overwhelming majority is for liquids, and therefore, the liquid is emitted. Even passively, it's problematic on Shabbat and as a din of Mashkeh. But where do we find the other thing that Rabbanan demodel Rabbi Yehuda b'shar peirot minolan? How do we ever find that the Rabbanan agreed to Rabbi Yehuda by shar peirot? In the Brayta, we only discussed zaytim and anavim where Rabbi Yehuda agreed, and tutim and ramonim where they argued. Shar peirot was left out. That was the reason Rashi said that Rav Nachman Rayitzah could only say mistavra. It makes sense from the Brayta to say this because there's no proof in the Brayta that the Chachamim agreed by shar peirot, and that's what the Gemara asks now. Where do we know about shar peirot by regards to the Chachamim? The Tanya. Because you have a brighter. So chatim. One is allowed to squeeze out. Bifigayim. Ubarishim. Ubaoz radin. So these are fruits. The pigayim Rashi looking says prunes. Obviously it's not prunes because you can't squeeze prunes. Prunes are already dehydrated plums. But he must mean plums. Barishim are quinces. And ozradim are sorb apples. So these are fruits that generally are not used for their liquids. So... You can be sochetem on Shabbat. Avalo birimonim. You're not allowed to do that with pomegranates. Shall beit menashia bar menachem ayu sochetim birimonim. The beit menashia bar menachem were pomegranate growers, and they used to squeeze pomegranates for the juice even on weekdays. And therefore on Shabbat it's problematic. My says umimai the rabbanani. How do you know the author of this brayta is the rabbanan? Dilma Rabbi Yehudi. Maybe Rabbi Yehudi is the author of the brayta, and you have no proof that by sharp peirot it's okay. My says v'tahavi nami Rabbi Yehuda. Even if you want to say that the bright is authored by Behuda, Amar Dishmaitle the Rabbiuda Yatsumatsman. Rabbiuda in our mission only says if the liquids come out passively, that that's mutar on Shabbat. So chatin mishmaitle. Since when did Rabbiuda say that if you on Shabbat come up the fruits that normally are not squeezed out, that you can go ahead and squeeze them actively? Here the bright is saying, so chatin, you can actively squeeze them out. Elamait chalim Amar, what do you have to say here? Kevin delab b'neischita nenu. Since these are fruits that are not generally squeezed for their juices, people don't have interest in their juices, then even on Shabbat, you can squeeze them out because it's not called tzchita. If normally people don't squeeze them for their juices, then squeezing out the juices is not called tzchita. And therefore, why should it be unique to Rabbi Yehuda's position? It could be even the Rabbanan. Since they are not normally squeezed for their juices, even the Chachamim agree that there is no tzchita by them. And since the principle that we're invoking here to explain the Brayta is not a unique position to Rabbi Yehuda, we're going to say it applies equally to Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbonan. If that's the case, we see even the Rabbonan subscribe to this position that Shar Peirot do not have a din of Shechita and Shabbat. 
Shmami Rabbonani, Shmami no. If that's the case, then even the Rabbonin agree by Sharpei wrote that it's not considered to be a problem of Sechita, because even if you actively were Sochet, it's not a problem on Shabbat. Certainly if you came out passively, we're not going to worry about it. Now the Gemara says, The Brechta says that this family used to squeeze pomegranates for their juice. The is like them. How do you say the Allah is like them? He's a Tano? They're just bringing an example of a family that squeezes pomegranates for juice. How do you say the Allah is like this family? If you want to say Allah ki hai Tano, the Savalak is Menachem. So what do you say? No, the Allah is not like that family. But the Allah is like the Tano that says squeezing pomegranates for juice is problematic, just like Menashe ben Menachem used to do it. What does it have to do with the fact that this family squeezes for juice? Therefore, the Allah is like that Tano? Why should that impact on what the halacha is in this case? They are the rove of the olam. They're going to govern the halacha for everybody else because this family brings up pomegranates. They are pomegranate farmers and then they squeeze it for their juices. You're going to say that they dictate for everyone else what the din of pomegranates is? That doesn't make sense. That is the case. We have a Mishnah. Someone who keeps thorns inside of their vineyard. Rabbi Eliezer or Rabbi Elazar. There's a machelok here about the gear cell. Omer Kiddush. It's a problem of Kilayim Bekerim. It's not Mikadesh. It doesn't make it to Kilayim Bekerim because people normally do not bring up these types of items. Because in the area of Arabia, right, the Gemara here assumes that this is a city, not a more general region. Nevertheless, in those areas, they bring up or they grow actively thorns for feed for their camels. So Gemara says, Meet the area of Arabia Atra. Wait a minute, how can you even compare the cases? Over there, you're talking about Arabia, which is a city. Over here, you're talking about a single individual or a single family. They should not be able to govern. They should be tailored that towards Oklahoma. We should nullify what they're doing to what the majority of people do. So what we have here is a question in general. If certain people act in a certain manner, how does that impact Aloha? So we see from the Mishnah between the Machlok, between the Chachamim and Rabbi Eliezer, that the way people conduct themselves does have an impact on Aloha. Rabbi Eliezer says, since in Arabia they bring up thorns as feed for camels, then people want that. They actively plant them and they want it there. If that's the case, it will create a problem for Kilai Bekerim. The Chimimah, on the other hand, say, wait a minute. If the people bring up for thorns, nobody brings up thorns. Thorns are something that you don't want. And since you don't want it, it's not going to be a din in Kilai Bekerim because you have to want the items that are growing there for order for it to be Kilai Bekerim. So Rabbi Hanina explains that position of Rabbi Lazar and says, well, because in their neighborhood, they brought up camels and that's why they wanted it there. And the Gemara now assumes that that governs. Because that city does such a thing, therefore it's going to govern. Over here, we have an individual who presses pomegranates for their juice. Ah, so now that person's going to govern for the whole world that everybody now who has pomegranates has to worry about the juice issue? Gemara says, that's a big difference. One is a city, the other one is an individual. By a city, you can say that that has impact on the whole world. By an individual, you cannot say that they have an impact on the whole world. Now, the Gemara back on Daf Tzadibet and Mudbet 
seems to indicate that it's even cities or large regions do not have an impact on the halacha. And over there, Tosafot tries to reconcile, and it says it depends on the situation. That in a case where you have a large city that does something, like for instance here where Arabia brings up thorns for feeds for their camel, in that instance we're going to say that anybody who had camels would act in a similar fashion. So since anybody who had camels would act in a similar fashion, therefore the halachic impact is on the whole world. Because here we have a large region that does something, and since such a large region does something, that we can now infer from that that anybody who had camels would act in this manner. If that's true, it impacts aloha that it'll be kilai bikerim. On the other hand, when you have an individual, like here, that squeezes pomegranates for their juice, we're not going to say then that anybody who had pomegranates would act like this family. That you can't do. You can't say that one individual tells us what everybody would do with regards to pomegranates. And that's why the Gemara over here differentiates between what is a city and what is an individual. By a city, we will extrapolate from that city and say anybody who would act in a similar manner, given the variables that this city has. If you have one individual acting this way, we're not going to then extrapolate and say anybody had these variables act in a similar manner. And that's why the Gemara here differentiates between the two of them. Well, if that's the case, back to our story over here, why does it matter that Beit Menashe Ben Menachem squeezed their pomegranates for juice? Why does that have any impact in terms of the halachic process? The answer is like Rav Chista. This is the reason that over here that Menashe ben Menachem or what's happening here makes a difference. It's because Rav Chista. If you have beets that were squeezed for their liquid, and then you put that liquid into the mikveh, if they change the appearance of the mikveh, then they are a pusel. Now, when it comes to a mikveh, you need 40 sa'ah, of water, water that was rainwater or from a mayan that is now gathered together. What you can't have is mayim shuvim. Now mayim shuvim are poslim by mikveh. If you have three log of mayim shuvim that fall into a mikveh that is less than 40 sa'ah, they are posel the mikveh. Now over here, we also have other liquids. Other liquids that fall into a mikveh, if they're not water, then they are posel the mikveh. If they change the way the mikveh looks, if it doesn't look like water anymore, then they're problematic. So over here, you have this water that is squeezed out of the beets. That water, if it changes the appearance of the mikveh, is problematic. Nobody squeezes beet for their water, for their juices. So then why should it impact on the mikveh? It's not a liquid. So how do you have to explain this? It's, Since you give them significance, they turn into a mashke. So too over here, since you have given them significance... Therefore, they turn into a liquid. Now, Rashi explains, so then, what does that have to do with our bright over here, with these fruits above? So he says, One can't squeeze the juices out of them in order to sweeten the pre. Not for the liquid itself. You're squeezing out the liquid in order to make the fruit a sweeter fruit. You're taking out some of the liquid and leaving the sugar inside. And because of that, it's going to cause the fruit to sweeten. That is permissible, because you don't want the liquid. That's not called schita. When it comes to pomegranates, even if you want to sweeten the pomegranates by squeezing out some of the liquid, we won't let you do that. Because, because we have an instance where somebody does squeeze the pomegranates for their liquids. 
Therefore, on Shabbat, it's a sewer even to sweeten it. And since there's someone who's machshib this to be a liquid, then we're going to be worrying about this on Shabbat. We're not going to let you wholesale squeeze these fruits out to even take the pre, because there's this risk that you could do it for the liquids. Since we find somebody who does it for liquids, they lose this status of being automatically, whenever you're squeezing it out, it's going to take pre, because nobody just squeezes them for anything else. But now we found someone who does it by pomegranates, Never going to be gozer on Shabbat by pomegranates, that which we wouldn't do by the other fruits. That's the way Rav Chista is going to explain the Brayta before. The reason that the Maitradina are problematic over here is because you couldn't make a mikvah just out of beet juice. Since you can't just make it out of beet juice, and anything that you wouldn't normally make a mikvah out of, that causes problems for the mikvah when it's added into the water if it changes the appearance of the mikvah. So it's not because it's considered to be a liquid, it's because it's not a liquid. That's the problem. And since it's not a liquid, if it was then added to the mikveh and changes the appearance of the, lik- of the mikveh, that is problematic. So Gemara says, Tan We have a Mishnah, it's really a... We have a Mishnah in Mikvaot. Nafalu tocho yain chometz. If wine or vinegar falls into the mikveh, umochel. Mochel is the liquid that emanates from a... or is emitted by an olive. Vishina marav, and it changes the appearance of the mikveh, pasul, it ruins the mikveh. Mantana do mochel mashkehu. Who is the one who says that mochel is a liquid, and because it's a liquid, it's going to cause a problem for the mikveh by its appearance? Amar abayi, Rabbi Yaakovi. That is Rabbi Yaakov. The Tanyo, we have a bright, we have Tosef, the Rabbi Yaakov, Omer, mochel, harihu kemashke. This liquid that comes out of the olives is a liquid, is considered to be a mashke, a liquid. Well, if it is a liquid, then why does the first liquid that emanates from the olives considered to be tohor? Because he does not want it to stay around. This liquid that comes out of the olives does not have a classification alochli as a liquid. What is the reason that the liquids that emanate from the olives, once they are placed into the basket of the press, it's tamay, the fish you have shar below to tuchay shemen. Because that liquid will not come out unless it has some oil in it. My benayu. What's the difference between them? Ikmanayu, the atar batar That which comes out after they are put into a container, into the self-pressured container. So Rashi points out over here that this mochel, this liquid that emanates from the olives, are actually three times that the liquid emanates from the olive. It's a liquid that emanates from the olives when they are first picked and they are just sitting there and ripening. Over there, there's a clear liquid that comes out of the olive. There is another liquid that comes out of the olive, and that is when you pile them together and you pack them together to put them into the press, they also, because of the pressure of them sitting together, they give off a clear liquid. The last liquid that comes out of the olives is actually when you begin to press them. When you press them, and you leave them under the press, that which comes out has, there's a liquid coming out. And so, those three stages, that's what we're discussing over here. The Gemara says that Rabbi Yaakov says, well, the mochel is never classified as a liquid. Then why is it that when it comes out of the press that that... Rabbi Yaakov says that the liquid that comes out of an olive is considered to be a liquid halachically. So then why does the halacha that the first liquid, when you gather the grapes, the olives together, that they have some liquid that comes out of them, why is that classified as a, why is that not classified as a liquid to be machshir? The answer is because you don't want it. And since it's shalodorat zone, it cannot be machshir the kabel tumah. 
On the other hand, Rabbi Yaakov says, Rabbi Shimon says that the mochel is never classified as a mashke. But it's never classified as a mashke. Why is it that we say that the liquids that come out when the olives are pressed, that that liquid that comes out has a din that it's machshir the kabutuma? The answer is because you do want that liquid. You want that liquid because it has some shem and it has some oil in it. So then where is their machloket? Their machloket is in that middle case of itzatzta. Itzatzta is when they are piled together that they are starting to ripen and the pressure of them sitting together causes some liquid to emanate from there. Over there, Rabbi Yaakov says that that has a din of mashke halachically and Rabbi Shimon says it doesn't have a din of a mashke halachically. So again, similar to the machloket chachamim Rabbi Yehud over here. On the extremes, they agree. It's the middle case where they disagree. What is the status that liquid that comes out of the olives? Does it have a status like the liquid that you want? Or does it have a status like the liquid that you do not want? So therefore, that is why this mochel causes a problem in the mikveh. It's mochel because we have a question as whether halakhali is considered to be a mashker or not. And that's a machloka here between Rabbi Yaakov and Rabbi Shimon. Amar Rava, Rava Amar Mishum Davi Dover Shainu Simi Menu Mikveh Upposot Mikveh Bishinui Mareh. The reason here has nothing to do with whether it's a mashke or not a mashke. It is not a liquid. And even though it's not a liquid, nevertheless, it could be problematic for the mikveh by changing the appearance of the mikveh because you can't make a mikveh from it. You can't make a mikveh from liquids that came out of an olive. If that's the case, then if it gets mixed in to a mikveh that you're trying to make into 40 sa'ah and it changes the appearance of the mikveh, it'll be problematic. Similar to the answer that Rapapa gave before with regards to the maitra din. And therefore, Rava says that that Mishnah that's from Mikvaot that says that Mochel is problematic is Divriyakol. It's not just Rabbi Yaakov's position who says Mochel is a Mashkeh. It can even be according to Rabbi Shimon who says Mochel is not a Mashkeh. Because the whole problem here is that you can't make a Mikveh out of this item. Since you can't make a Mikveh out of this item, it will be Pusel bin Mareh. Okay, we'll stop over here and continue with the Gemara tomorrow.